Hey, it's your host, Carter. I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. Kids who are under the age of 13 might find some parts of our show a little bit scary, so listener discretion is advised. Now, enjoy the show. Come on, Jack. Don't be so uptight. This is the White House. Please. You're no choir boy, and I'm not your wife. It frees up the mind. It'll help you relax. I know something else that'll help me relax. We'll get to that later. Maybe just a puff or two. It's natural, Jack, and probably a lot better than those shots you get for your back. Okay, let me try. (coughs) You can do better than that. You realize you are threatening the president? (laughs) What are you going to do? Have the Secret Service come in and arrest me? No, I believe I will just have to punish you myself. Much better. Am I supposed to feel different? Give it a minute. Mary, I do enjoy these sessions. I do too, Jack. But let's not spoil it. Mary... Just enjoy it while it lasts. Welcome to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. Today, we're continuing our investigation into the murder of Mary Pinchot Meyer who was shot and killed while out on a walk in Washington, D.C. in the fall of 1964. It was a death that shocked the Capitol because she was a prominent member of Georgetown society. Her sister was married to noted journalist Ben Bradley. She was friendly with the country's top counterterrorism specialist, James Jesus Angleton, and her former husband had been a high-ranking member of the CIA. Well, not to mention she had been carrying on a long-running affair with John F. Kennedy right up to his assassination. Was she the victim of a random street crime? Or was it a conspiracy to make sure she took all her secrets to the grave? This is episode 22 of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, and episode 2 of Mary Pincho Meyer. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders or to hear our investigation into other cases, you can find them all on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or any other podcast directory, as well as our website, parcast.com. That's parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T.com. And... Make sure you don't miss anything by subscribing to the podcast. Again, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast directory. A new episode of Unsolved Murders is released every Tuesday. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page, ParCast, to join the conversation. And now, back to Mary Pinchot Meyer. Born into East Coast affluence in 1920... Mary Pinchot was raised in the family estate known as Grey Towers. Mary, make sure your sister's ready for our company. Her father was a successful lawyer, her mother was a journalist, and her uncle was the two-time governor of Pennsylvania. The conservation of our natural resources is an important issue. When I was head of the Forest Service, I advocated for the art of producing from the forest whatever it can yield for the service of man. Politics was very much part of Mary's upbringing. And those politics were left of center. Because her father was a leading figure in the Progressive Party, while her mother wrote for magazines like The Nation and The New Republic. And the family home acted as a salon for left-wing intellectuals. Mary, say hello to Mrs. Dodge. Oh, please. Call me Mabel. Pleased to meet you, Mrs. Dodge. To further her education, Mary Pinchot went off to one of the elite prep schools in New York City, the Brearley School. Settle down, young ladies. The bell has tolled. Let us close our mouths and open our minds. 
and then to Vassar College. Mary, have you done the reading for history? It's interesting, don't you think? What about Karl Marx? I found it quite fascinating. You better watch what you say or someone may suspect you of harboring communist tendencies. Just between us, perhaps I am. Mary! Don't you think I'd look dashing in red? After graduation from college, In 1942, six months into the U.S. involvement in World War II, Mary found work as a journalist. Mary, are you going to join us for lunch? I can't. I'm on deadline. In 1944, she met a Marine Corps lieutenant named Cord Meyer. I hope you won't think I'm too forward, but what happened to your left eye? I lost it in combat. Shrapnel injury. I feel so bad. Don't. There are plenty who lost more. The couple married in 1945. They shared professional interests. They both attended a conference in San Francisco at which the United Nations was founded. He is an aide, she is a journalist. I feel like we're in the front row witnessing history. Yes, it's our first trip to San Francisco. Historic. Very funny. In all seriousness, maybe now our children will live in a more peaceful world. Children. And they soon would be sharing the joys of parenthood. I feel as big as a house. Don't be silly. You're just saying that. No, Great Towers is huge. You're definitely smaller. Stop it. Mary, we're not allowed to fight. We're both pacifists. Over the next five years, Mary and Cord had three sons, Quentin, Michael, and Mark. Settle down, boys, and wash up for dinner. And while Mary was dedicated to being a homemaker... If I don't see clean hands, no one's getting dessert. Her husband received a job offer from a clandestine government agency. Cord, I want you to come work for the CIA. The family moved to Washington, D.C., where they lived in a Georgetown neighborhood populated by major players in the capital. Friends in their circle included syndicated columnist Joseph Alsop, lawyer and political insider Clark Gifford, as well as Washington Post reporter James Truitt and his artist wife, Anne. There were also the CIA acquaintances, including Cord's boss, Frank Wisner, and James Jesus Angleton, who was married to Mary's Vassar pal, Cicely Dautremont. And in 1954, a couple moved in next door to the Myers. He was a junior senator from Massachusetts, and his new wife was a former debutante and young journalist named Jacqueline. Welcome to the block, Senator Kennedy. Please, call me Jack. We're old friends. You remember me from the dance at Choate? You are someone I would never forget. It was a tight-knit community. Mary Meyer and Jackie Kennedy even used to take walks together. You know, I went to Vassar, too. Really? Before I transferred to GW. Well, we Vassar girls have to stick together. Mary was also close with her sister, Tony. On a trip to Europe the sisters took in 1954, Tony met the chief European correspondent for Newsweek, Ben Bradley. What do you say, Tony? We go get a drink. They were both married to other people at the time. Well, that never stops love in Washington. Tony and Ben Bradley divorced their spouses and got married. Unfortunately, as one sister's marriage was coming together, the other's was falling apart. Cord, I already have three boys to take care of. I don't need a fourth. That's not fair, Mary. It's not working anymore. I don't believe that. I want out. And then tragedy struck. Mary! Mary! What is it? What happened? There's been an accident. It's Michael. No! Mary's middle son, Michael, just nine years old, was out riding his bike near their home and got hit by a car. We did all we could, but I'm sorry. He didn't make it. It was a devastating blow. But for a time, it brought Mary and Cord closer together. We need to be strong. For Quentin and Mark. Do you feel strong? Because I don't. I don't either. 
but we'll be there for each other. However, their underlying issues were still there, and soon enough... Cord, we need to talk. Don't do this, Mary. We can go on pretending, but we're only fooling ourselves. Mary and Cord got divorced. All you need to do is sign the papers, then it's official. Mary Pinchot Meyer was now a single woman. And she threw herself into her new activities, both professional... What are you going to do now? I'm going to paint. ...and personal. Can you watch the kids Friday night? Sure. Why? I've got a thing. A thing? You mean a date? Mary certainly enjoyed her new freedom. So, tell me all the details. Well, it started with drinks, and then, you know... No, I don't know. Fill me in. Do you hear a clicking on the line? Clicking? There, that. I don't know. I don't... I just... Can I call you back later? You better. And it was during this time that she became reacquainted with her old Georgetown neighbor. I figured we would start with dinner. Jack, forgive me for asking, but where's Jackie? She is out of town, who is now living in the White House. You don't know how much I appreciate hearing what you have to say, Mary. Jack, I'm flattered. No, you give it to me straight. Usually, as soon as someone gets in to see me, it's yes, Mr. President, right, Mr. President, whatever you say, Mr. President. Yes, Mr. President. (laughs) (laughs) But tragedy struck again on a fateful November day in Dallas in 1963. And as a nation mourned, here comes the tradition of a riderless horse. Mary Pinchot Meyer felt the loss on a more personal level. Little did she realize her own day of reckoning would come soon enough. On the afternoon of October 12th, 1964, there, all done. After finishing a painting, Mary went for her customary walk along the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal towpath in Georgetown. Then a mechanic fixing a car on the street nearby heard, Someone help me! Someone help me! There were two gunshot wounds, one in the back and one in the left temple. Both fired at close range. Mary Pinchot Meyer was dead. October 14th, 1964 would have been Mary Pinchot Meyer's 44th birthday. Instead, it was the day of her funeral. The Bethlehem Chapel at the National Cathedral was filled with 200 mourners. My condolences on your loss. Thank you for coming. And most of the arrangements had been made by the deceased's brother-in-law, Ben Bradley. You'll be sitting up front with me and Tony. The flowers look lovely. They did a nice job. The church was filled with the upper crust of Washington, who knew and socialized with Mary Meyer, and the minister was an old friend. We will miss her honesty, her friendship, her rare sensitivity, that beauty which walked with her and which flowed from her into each of our lives. Who had known Mary and her husband since the 1930s? We cannot know why such a terrible, ugly, irrational thing should have happened. We can only sense that it was some way bound up with the sin and sickness of the entire world. Among those present were lawyers, diplomats, artists, politicians, journalists, and spies. Lots of spies. Because her ex-husband, Cord Meyer, worked at the CIA, and many had turned out to pay their respects. Such a terrible tragedy. Is there anything I can do to help? One of those was Cord's best friend from Yale, James Jesus Angleton. Let me show you to your seat. Close to Mary as well, he was working as an usher for the funeral. This is quite a to-do. I think Ben went over the top to impress the movers and shakers. 
we were her true friends, you know. Angleton was the head of counterintelligence at the CIA. The spy who tried to determine if any of America's spies were traitors. Which meant working in the shadows and dealing in secrets. But for today, at least, he was a comforting presence. Because Cord Meyer was overcome with grief. <sighs> yes, we're all going to miss him. Even though Cord and Mary had been divorced for six years by then... He was still in love with her. Yes, or perhaps he was feeling a pang of conscience. Wait, what? Well, maybe Cord's grief was compounded by what he knew. Are you suggesting that Cord Meyer had something to do with his wife's murder? Well, I'm just raising the possibility that what had happened was more complicated than it appeared. Why would you make that connection? Well, we'll get to that. Because even though this was the day Mary Pinchot Meyer would be buried, her story would not be. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. On Unsolved Murders, we explore the facts of real-life true crime cold cases. But if you're looking for more true crime cases with a bit of a twist, you should check out the ParCast original Female Criminals. When you think of a criminal, what do you picture? You picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. I bet you didn't think it could be the mother around the corner or the little old lady next door. Female Criminals investigates the lives of the world's most notorious female felons and explores the stories behind their dangerous crimes. These criminals come in every form, from serial killers and assassins to bank robbers and drug lords. Female Criminals is like a mystery and crime documentary rolled into one. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. Follow Female Criminals free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, let's get back to the police investigation of Mary Meyer's murder. At the time of Mary Meyer's funeral, the police had already apprehended Ray Crump Jr., and the prevailing theory was that she had been killed in a robbery gone bad. Well, it seems to make sense. There were witnesses who saw black men over the body after the gunshots, and another who saw similar men who appeared to be following Mary in the moments before the murder. However, by the time Crump came to trial in the following year, he was acquitted. We find the defendant not guilty. But that doesn't mean he didn't do it. Reasonable doubt is a high standard of proof. True, but there were obvious holes in the case. Where was the murder weapon? He could have easily tossed it into the canal. And the eyewitnesses described a black man who was much taller and heavier than Ray Crump. They were just estimating. How close would you be if you had to guess the height and weight of a stranger from a distance? You're right next to me, and I have no idea what you weigh. All right, fair point. Also, they were able to describe the clothes that Crump was apparently wearing. Light jacket, dark slacks, dark hat. Well, true, but that could apply to lots of people. Then there was the fact that he jumped or slipped into the canal, and he told a couple of different stories to the police. Look, Ray Crump Jr. was no angel. Right. After he was acquitted, he went on to a long life of crime. So he might have been up to no good that day. But murdering Mary Meyer wasn't part of it. How can you be so sure? Because there was no forensic evidence tying him to the crime. The FBI expert said Mary was shot point blank, and she struggled with her assailant. There would have been blood, hair, fibers. Okay. Also, according to his lawyer, he had a female alibi witness. Why didn't this witness testify at the trial? According to the lawyer, she disappeared. How convenient. Maybe. Or maybe she had a reason to stay out of it. Let's say Ray Crump was having a rendezvous that day with a married woman. He was protecting her, and she didn't want to get involved. 
Yeah, I wouldn't want the world to know either that I was having a rendezvous with Ray Crump. It's certainly a plausible theory, but that still doesn't answer the biggest question. Exactly. If Ray Crump didn't kill Mary Pinchot Meyer, who did? Years passed, and the homicide case of Mary Pinchot Meyer remained open and unsolved. Then, in 1976, there was a bombshell report in the National Enquirer, an exclusive with Mary's close friend, James Truitt. Mary Meyer had a two-year affair with President Kennedy. I thought everybody knew about the affair. No, this was 40 years ago. Today, we accept JFK's womanizing as common knowledge, but back then, it was limited to insiders. Mary was chauffeured to the White House in a limousine driven by a Secret Service agent. There, she met the president. Jack? Mary, you look lovely. And was taken to a bedroom. Jack, what makes you think I'm that kind of girl? Well, let's find out exactly what kind you are. Truett said that Jack and Mary would meet up to two or three times a week, sometimes when Jackie was out of town. When the wife's away, JFK will play. The affair continued right up until the time that the president was assassinated. But that wasn't the most startling revelation. Jack and Mary would usually have drinks or dinner alone. Mmm, mm, this is exquisite. One of the benefits of having your own private chef. More wine? Don't mind if I do. Say when. After one such dinner in April of 1962, Mary offered the president marijuana cigarettes. Come on, Jack. Don't be so uptight. This is the White House. Please, you're no choir boy. It frees up the mind. It'll help you relax. I know something else that will help me relax. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Well, maybe just a puff or two. Wait! JFK was smoking weed? Well, if you're surprised now, you can imagine how shocking it was in 1976. But there's more. One night after the president and Mary had smoked marijuana, she made another offer. This isn't like cocaine. I'll get you some of that. Coke? How did James Truett know all this? Well, apparently, Mary confided in him, and he kept notes. And he wasn't the only one writing things down. Mary herself kept a diary. Mary kept a diary. Well, where was that? That was the biggest revelation of all. After Mary was killed, her diary had been taken and burned by James Jesus Angleton. After the revelations in the 1976 National Enquirer story about Mary Pinchot Meyer and John F. Kennedy. The affair and the drugs and the diary. The Kennedy machine pushed back. Former aides to the president denied the story. That's not true. Didn't happen. The credibility of the Enquirer piece was questioned. How can you trust a dumb supermarket tabloid that specializes in exclusives about aliens? And true, it was paid for the story. It's cash for trash. And James Truett himself came under attack. I love James, but he's not well. It is my judgment as his physician that Mr. Pruitt is suffering from mental illness, and therefore what he says cannot be trusted. But knowing what we know now, the denials and pushback ring hollow. Well, that's right. It was an exercise in damage control and worked reasonably at the time. But the affair was later confirmed by most of the people around, not only the Kennedy aides, but by Mary's brother-in-law, Ben Bradley. The renowned editor of the Washington Post. Who published his autobiography, A Good Life, in 1995. It is called A Good Life because that is what I've had. And because when I was desperate for a title, David Halberstam said casually, You've had a good life, Bradley. Hey, why not call it that? A good life. 
In his memoir, not only did Bradley substantiate the affair, but he corroborated the existence of Mary's diary. And he told a new story about Mary's death and the diary that rather than ending speculation about what actually happened, only raised more questions. On the night of Mary Meyer's murder, her sister, Tony Bradley, was at home with her husband, Ben. Hello? Ben, it's Anne. It was Mary's close friend, Anne Truitt, who had moved to Tokyo when her husband, James, became the Japanese correspondent for Newsweek. So you've heard. Is James there? I, I need to talk to him immediately. She was looking for James Jesus Angleton. He's not here. Is there anything I can help you with? Ben, Mary was keeping a diary. I see. I don't know what's in it, but... I can only imagine. I just don't want it falling into the wrong hands. I know James could take care of it. I can go look if you want. You understand, Ben, the need to be discreet? Absolutely. According to Ben, the next day he and his wife went to the converted garage studio behind their house. That Mary used as a place to paint. Ben, what are you going to do with that? Well, Tony, we don't have a key. We might have to force our way in. But when they turned the corner, there was James Jesus Angleton. Place is locked. That's not going to be a problem. Picking the lock on the studio, even Bradley himself acknowledged. The CIA's most controversial counterintelligence specialist had been caught in the act of breaking and entering and looking for Mary's diary. Open sesame. Be careful about touching anything. If you see the diary, let me know. Here it is. What are we going to do with it? No one can see it. Agreed. Lord knows. We have a procedure for getting rid of classified material. Let me take it back to the office and burn it. Okay. All right. So they all got on board with burning the diary. Later, Bradley would justify their actions. I concluded this was in no sense a public document, despite the braying of the knee-jerks about some public right to know. Given what happened, it would be more than a little ironic a decade later when Ben Bradley talked about the ideals of his profession. As long as a journalist tells the truth in conscience and fairness, it is not his job to worry about consequences. The truth is never as dangerous as a lie in the long run. I truly believe the truth sets men free. Of course, that was after Watergate when he had taken down a man he despised, Richard Nixon. And not when he was protecting his sister-in-law and his good friend John Kennedy. And Ben also didn't believe in telling all the truth at the trial of Ray Crump Jr. Because when he testified about what personal effects he found in Mary's studio, he conveniently left out her diary. But now that diary was in the hands of James Jesus Angleton. And I don't trust him. So, you don't trust James Jesus Angleton? No, and here's why. He was the CIA's top counterintelligence officer responsible for ferreting out Soviet moles who might have infiltrated the agency. It's like a puzzle. Wheels within wheels. His fellow employees described him as zealous and paranoid. If we have been able to successfully penetrate all of our enemies, isn't it reasonable to assume that they have done likewise? It was said he even held more secrets than anyone in Washington outside of J. Edgar Hoover. On a personal basis, not only was he a close friend of Cord Meyer, but his wife was an old friend of Mary Pinchot Myers from Vassar. So the couples were tight. But that didn't stop him from digging for dirt. Rumor has it that when Mary divorced Cord, he tapped her phone line. Do you hear a clicking on the line? And even hid microphones in her bedroom. <laughs> Is this mattress firm enough for you? So, a real piece of work. And a spy in every sense of the word. 
It's also helpful to realize some of the things that the CIA was said to have a hand in during this time period. The overthrow of the government in Iran. The Bay of Pigs invasion. Support for military coups in Guatemala, Laos, Haiti, Ecuador, and the Dominican Republic. The plots to assassinate Fidel Castro, one of which involved an exploding cigar. And, of course, though this is widely disputed, some believe they were involved in the killing of JFK. This was the background James Jesus Angleton was coming from. And this was the man who had control of the diary. So when he said that he was going to burn it... Right. It's only natural to be skeptical. And here's when the story moves from fact into speculation. There is one claim that Angleton created a copy of the diary and burned the original, and another that he created a fake copy of the diary, and still another that he was confronted years later by Tony Bradley when she discovered he still had the diary. You said you were going to burn it. That's right. I'll do it right now. But that speculation seems secondary to the real mystery. Right. What was in the diary? And was it enough to get Mary Pinchot Meyer killed? We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, let's continue the story. Undoubtedly, there were secrets that people wanted hidden in Mary Meyer's diary. Her affair with John F. Kennedy, the drug use. But perhaps the most startling revelation comes from, of all people, Timothy Leary. The LSD guy. Yes. In 1983, former Harvard psychology lecturer Timothy Leary said that he was approached by Mary in the spring of 1962. Timothy, I need your help. With what? This is hush-hush, but very important. We can avoid war. We can save humanity. How? By convincing people in Washington to take, you know, the drugs. It'll open their minds, and they'll see how foolish fighting is. You want to use this as a pathway to peace? That's our plan. Think of it. No nuclear war. And by people in Washington? I mean, the biggest. I can't say, but the very top of the government. Our friend from Massachusetts? I can show you how to take a trip. That's all I'm asking. So you're saying that Mary Pinchot Meyer was dropping acid with President Kennedy? That's what Timothy Leary thought. Mary's biographer verified that she met with Leary and that she had taken LSD and, obviously, that she met with Kennedy, but she couldn't make the last connection. So maybe that was in the diary? And then there was her behavior after JFK was killed. She called Leary in a panic. What is it, Mary? They couldn't control him anymore. He was changing too fast. They've covered everything up. I gotta come see you. I'm afraid. Be careful. Keep in mind, the Warren Commission report, which determined that Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy and acted alone, went public on September 27th of 1964. Only two weeks before Mary was shot. And it's fair to say she disagreed with the report's finding. This isn't right. It was a conspiracy. So you're saying she might have been shot to keep her quiet? I don't think it's that much of a stretch. I mean, Lee Harvey Oswald himself was shot. That happened immediately, not a year later. Are you elevating Mary Pinchot Meyer to be a central player in this drama where she might have just been someone in the background? If there was a conspiracy, wouldn't you close down any avenue that could expose things you didn't want exposed? Also, not to be too crass about it, but JFK was involved with a lot of women. Was Mary really special? Well, of course, we can't know for sure. But in subsequent interviews, Kennedy Associates said, I think he might have thought more of her than some of the other women and discussed things that were on his mind, not just social gossip. That was a dangerous relationship. He was in love with Mary Meyer. He was certainly smitten with her, heavily smitten. 
He was very frank with me about it. And perhaps confirmation of their special relationship came from JFK himself. What do you mean by that? In July of 2016, a note surfaced at auction that John Kennedy had written to Mary Meyer in October of 1963, only a month before his death. Why don't you leave suburbia for once? Come and see me, either here or at the cake next week, or in Boston the 19th. I know it is unwise, irrational, and that you may hate it. On the other hand, you may not, and I will love it. You say that it is good for me not to get what I want. After all of these years, you should give me a more loving answer than that. Why don't you just say yes? Well, it certainly sounds like he's smitten, but that doesn't get us any closer to solving her murder. That's right. It's time to determine who killed Mary Pinchot Meyer. There are two main theories in Mary Pinchot Meyer's death, that she was killed by the CIA, or that she was the victim of a random street crime, which perhaps, not coincidentally, run parallel to the theories of the JFK assassination, that it was a conspiracy, or that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe the conspiracy. Only weeks after the Warren Commission goes public, and she is one of the first to question it, and suddenly, she's silenced? Yeah, even if I believe the motive, doesn't setting up a hit in a public place in the middle of the day seem too complicated? So much could go wrong. Mm, that's what the CIA does. But here was a woman who used drugs, a simple OD, and the problem solved. But that might have raised more questions. This is an organization that tried to poison Castro or kill him with an exploding cigar. Here they set up an operation around her daily walk and used Ray Crump as a patsy. But witnesses saw an African-American man at the scene. Well, there is speculation that one of the witnesses was a CIA agent himself. Sorry, Oliver Stone, this is all fascinating, but I don't buy conspiracies. The simplest explanation is the best. She got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, and do you know who else believed that? Who? Cord Meyer. I was satisfied by the conclusions of the police investigation that Mary had been the victim of a sexually motivated assault by a single individual and that she had been killed in her struggle to escape. Well, of course, that's what he's going to say. Either he was kept in the dark about the operation, or he had to keep his mouth shut. I don't believe it. Nobody keeps their mouth shut. That's the problem with conspiracies. Somebody always talks. What about the cover-up with the diary? I agree that there was a cover-up with the diary, but you know how we found out about it? Because somebody talked. So they were covering up the diary, but they had nothing to do with her death? Exactly. Mary was killed, and then her family and friends made sure to clean things up after. Because why bring embarrassment on her after she was gone? That's a natural reaction, and it's totally understandable. Oh, and one of those friends just happens to be a top spook at the CIA? Oh, don't make it sound so sinister. Even CIA agents have friends. So, I guess that's our Facebook poll. Do you think Mary Pinchot Meyer was killed in a random street crime, or was it a conspiracy by the CIA to keep her quiet? Let us know what you think. Or if you have an alternate theory. And by the way, Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman. Well, now I know you're crazy. Some may suggest that Mary Pinchot Meyer is just a footnote in history. But in many ways, she is the embodiment of the vast sweep of the last century. Born in a world of hope and affluence, forged in war and settled in suburbia. Then in her later years, experiencing a great upheaval, divorcing, striking out on her own, experimenting with drugs, becoming more liberated, artistically and sexually. And through it all, searching for peace. Peace in the world and peace in her heart. 
And though it ended far too soon and far too tragically, the spark of her beauty, her art, her very existence gave off a joyful light. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast directory. Or through our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode of Unsolved Murders comes out every Tuesday. Let us know what you think and join the conversation on our Parcast Facebook page. Next week, we'll be opening our investigation into the cold case of Lizzie Borden. You can tweet us at Parcast Network. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T Network. We thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us for our next installment. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro with production assistance by Joel Stein, and written by Stephen DeLillo. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Jerry Courtney Austin, Mike Posey, Janice Liebhart, Nicholas Massou, Manu Narayan, Stephen Pinto, Gregory Polson, and Vanessa Richardson.